Hello, and welcome to Cover to Credits, the bi-weekly podcast where we discuss books and their movie adaptations. I'm Ian George. And I'm Adina Hilton. In this episode, we'll be discussing Little Fires Everywhere. Little Fires Everywhere was written by Celeste Ng and published in 2017. And the TV show adaptation, which uh, came out on Hulu, came out this year in 2020 and was showrun by Liz Tegeler. Yeah, I think. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it's her. I just don't know if I'm saying the name right. Yeah. As usual. And wow, we have so much to talk about. We have so much to talk about. Um, It's really cool whenever we can do a a new adaptation, one that's like just come out. Yeah. It's, you know, exciting. People are talking about it. Um, And I think we're going to have a lot to discuss because there are a lot of differences between the book and the show. Mm -hmm. Um, So, yeah, let's get right into it. Absolutely. So the the both the show and the book start off with kind of an interesting premise, kind of almost like a whodunit scenario. Yeah. Where the Richardson household has burned to the ground and one of the Richardson children has disappeared. Everyone's assuming she's the one who did it. Yeah. But did she? Did she? Did she, though? And that's kind of the central setup. Yeah. And I mean, I think right away people are going to be getting uh, big, big little lies <laughs> vibes. Big, big little big, lies. Big, big little lies vibes. Yeah. Just from from like the fact that we're setting up this mystery. It's about a lot of women and their relationships to each other um, and kind of about like the secrets that we keep under this yeah. facade of like normalcy and perfect happiness. Yeah. Class issues taking place in like a very perfect like suburb. Uh, yeah. Suburb area. And yeah. But it is very, very different than Big Little Lies. Definitely. In tone, in themes. Uh, so there's and especially the book, I think. Yeah. Big Little Lies is definitely like the mystery surrounding it is revisited mm-hmm. pretty frequently. And that's kind of like. It's the central. It's like what holds the book together. Yeah. And if you're interested, we do have an episode on Big do. Little Lies. So you can listen to that. <laughs> and then I think also the show really has Big Little Lies vibes as well because of Reese Witherspoon. Yeah. Yeah. She, in fact, um, <laughs> if we call uh, her character from little fires madeline <laughs> that's incorrect it's elena but her name was madeline in big little lies yeah in fact one of my first notes was uh reese witherspoon sure loves playing a go-getter <laughs> <laughs> she does but the characters do uh diverge quite a bit as the show continues mm-hmm. uh, so that's another interesting thing to see how uh the witherspoons is uh go kind of in different directions yes how do the spoons wither away from each other? <laughs> that was terrible. Why did I say that? <laughs> we'll cut it in post. It's fine. <laughs> um, so the story takes place in um, Shaker Heights, uh, Ohio, which is a neighborhood near Cleveland. And this is a real neighborhood that the author, uh, Celeste Ng, grew up in as a child. Fun fact, she actually was born in Pittsburgh. Yeah. And part of the story takes place in Pittsburgh. Um, but when she was about eight or so, her family moved to Shaker Heights, and that's where she grew up, went to high school, etc. And Celeste Ng's family um, was originally from Taiwan mm. and then came to America. Um, so she is Asian American. Yeah. So the fact that it's in Pittsburgh and Ohio, you get some like local references that I think we both appreciated. Yeah. Reference to Eaton Park, a local uh, food chain, <laughs> uh, a few others that were fun to, to catch. 
Um, but yeah, I, I thought the the town. I mean, it's its its own character in so many ways in the story. Definitely, definitely a little more fleshed out and interesting in the book, I'd say, because mm-hmm. the town is very set up to be like kind of this perfect little community. Yes, um, built off the idea of the Shakers, like the people that like founded it as a village originally. As utopia, yeah, it's like a utopia, and it does have an interesting history of trying to be very open and inclusive um, to people of different racial backgrounds and throughout, you know, U.S. history. And I think that's really interesting to have that as the backdrop. Yeah. Because I think in this show, it kind of, it simplifies it too much and paints it as like, oh, it's a bunch of rich white people. Yeah. And it is that in a Mm -hmm. lot of ways, but there's a more interesting history there, I think. Yeah. And it is a diverse place. Um, And there is this idea, I think more than the idea of like races living living in harmony. It's this idea that like everything can be perfect if you plan it right. Yeah. And that's sort of the shaker um, mentality for the town, the people that live there through generations. And the Richardsons have lived in this town for generations as well. And so it's kind of ingrained in them and ingrained in the main character, Elena, played by Reese Witherspoon. Um, and this idea that you can plan your life perfectly and it'll all go perfectly. Yeah. If you just plan it right. Yeah. So it's like the town fitting into that theme is really well done too. Like I think that all ties together very well. Yeah. Uh, Let's talk about the Richardson family as a whole. Yeah. Uh, Honestly, I found the beginning of the book a little like (laughs) overwhelming. Oh yeah. Because like it's name dropping like, all four children of the Richardson household, it mentions Mia and Pearl in like a passing way. I think you're like not supposed to fully understand, like it fleshes itself out later. No. But right at the beginning, I'm like, uh, who, what? Like I'm making notes about everyone. I know, I wrote down literally everything. We have Lexi, the oldest child, mm-hmm. who is a senior. Yes. Then we have Trip, the second youngest, second oldest, yes. who's a junior. Then Moody, who's a sophomore. Then Izzy, who's a freshman. At least they're all evenly spaced, which I appreciate. That (laughs) helps keep it all together in my head a bit. Uh, Yeah, Lexi is kind of, um, she's bright, uh, but also kind of very self-obsessed. Definitely. Self-focused and really fucks a lot of people over. Um, Yeah, and then Trip kind of is just portrayed as like a jock shallow jock shallow jock i mean we do get more to him as time goes on Mm -hmm. and then there's moody who's kind of the more the moody one the moody one (laughs) the more emotionally connected one yeah and then izzy the youngest one who is the one who has disappeared at the beginning of the story when the fire occurred And she is kind of notoriously the problem child of the family. Yeah. The one that doesn't fit in. The one who's always doing something to make her mom angry or to make people notice her. Um, She clearly just doesn't really fit into this like perfectly well-crafted family and ideal life that the Richardsons have going for them. Mm -hmm. And she's also a lot more um, artistic more yeah. of like a free spirit, definitely not enjoying the whole like very ordered life that her family is leading. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, all the um, the Richardson children kind of have their own vibe, their own deal going on. They're all at different stages in their life, kind of. Yeah. Uh, so they are interesting in their own ways. 
Uh, and the Richardson family, well, and then there's Elena, the mother, mm-hmm. who's also a, a local reporter. Yeah. Who has maybe given up on her larger dreams yeah. in the pursuit of having a large family. Mm-hmm. And then the father, Bill, who is a lawyer locally. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They, the family also owns a small rental property in the area, a duplex. And the story really begins, it's four months before the fire occurs, and... Uh, Mia and her daughter Pearl have just come to Shaker Heights to move there, and they are going to rent the upper level of the duplex. Yeah, and Elena Richardson kind of views this duplex as like a way to do good um, by yeah. like renting it to people who might need it, um, giving them like a better life because Shaker, of course, is the perfect place to live, and mm-hmm. anyone will be happy to live there. And Mia and Pearl. Um, it's a mother and daughter, you know, a single mom and her like 15, 16 year old daughter. She's about Moody's age Mm -hmm. and they have lived this kind of nomadic life for all of Pearl's childhood where they'll stay in one place for like a year or two, maybe at the most. Um, and Mia is an artist who, you know, will work on a project for a certain amount of time. And then when she's done, they move on and they literally move on to somewhere else. Yeah, I, I found Pearl's um, career as a photographer super interesting. Mia. I'm sorry, Mia. God damn it. <laughs> I'm already m- messing names up. I found Mia's uh, uh, career as a photographer very interesting. Yeah. Especially reading about it. Uh, we get a lot more into her past later on as she's like a budding photographer and her experimenting and going to art school and stuff. And I really loved reading about that and reading about the type of uh, photography she does. Yeah. And it's also interesting to see them try to translate that into a show. Cause it's one thing to talk about art. Yeah. Be like, yeah, she took apart a desk and made a bowl out of it. And yeah. it's like, okay, I can just say whatever I want. You know what I mean? And it yeah. sounds cool. Uh, but then to actually have to transcribe that into actual art that you see in the show is very interesting. Cause some of it, some of it, one picture in particular is very accurate to the book. Yeah. And it's kind of cool. Uh, and that's a photo- That's the photo above the mantle. Yeah. Other ones aren't quite as solid. They feel pretty uh, amateurish or like not interesting or. Yeah, I agree. I think it. I'm sure it's very difficult to do this, but it felt so layered in the book. Yeah. Like her art was so many different things. It was like sculpture collage like um just you know so much hands-on working with her hands in this 3d medium and then using the 2d like photograph to like capture that in a weird way um and i loved that melding of mediums yeah and i think seeing her do it in the show also felt kind of fakish yeah like she had made something and then she would just kind of like jump around and like take random snapshots of it and i'm like you don't have any lighting set up. It doesn't seem like you're really framing what you're doing in a super intentional way. It kind yeah. of felt like, I don't know, not super real. Because I've, I've worked with phot- photographers who like do product photography and things like that. And like, it's a science with lighting and different things that you're doing. And obviously yeah. atmosphere is a big part of that. Mm-hmm. And so maybe I'm the only one who's like, or not the only one, but. <laughs> one, two, the me and Pearl have always lived kind of like as best as they could because Mia's art is so important to her. You know, she kind of takes part-time jobs. Yeah. So she's like not making a lot of money. 
So in addition to like the fact that she's really focusing on her art, she's also like very conservative in her materials. Like she's not just going to take a bunch of shots because film is expensive. Yeah. So she's very intentional about everything that she does. Um, just like she's intentional with how they repurpose, like use things to, you mm-hmm. know, in their home or how they find free stuff like on garbage day or like go to thrift stores. Um, there's like a lot of intentionality in Mia's character because she's had to, you know, kind of make it on her own for so long. Yeah. Yeah. I guess just the book, it felt so well researched and thought out in terms of it talking about the photography. And you could just tell that uh, Celeste Ng, like, really had researched that or had firsthand knowledge of photography that yeah. really, like, read in that way. Mm-hmm. Uh, and her daughter Pearl, you know, is is kind of like adjusted to this nomadic lifestyle too. Yeah, I think she has a lot of pride in what her mom does and kind of her being a free spirit. Uh, but when they arrive in Shaker Heights, uh, Mia has promised Pearl that they are there to stay. Yes, and Pearl almost immediately meets Moody, the third Richardson child, the Moody one. <laughs> um, and he and Pearl kind of quickly bond. Um, and Mia through Moody, or I'm sorry, Pearl. <laughs> See, I'm doing We're it already now. doing it. I, I, I threw you off. <laughs> I take full responsibility. <laughs> uh, Pearl through Moody re- meets the rest of the Richardson family. And she kind of has this interesting relationship to almost everyone in the Richardson family. Yeah. She looks at Elena as almost this like total opposite of her mother, but in an equally fascinating way that she admires. Yeah. She's very warm and inviting and outgoing and like, uh, you know, just has her entire life like measured out in uh, teaspoons as is referred to later. Mm -hmm. And she kind of builds her life around her children. Like she's very devoted to them. Yeah. Yeah. And so that's very interesting. And she's very like warmly welcomed into the Richardson household. Uh, And then Moody, she obviously like grows very close to very quickly. Yeah. And (laughs) I have a little bit of an issue with this in the show because Moody clearly like, grows to have feelings for her. Yeah. And she only sees it as a friendship. And I think in the book, it can definitely, like, that's kind of how it plays out. Yeah. There is one part in the show, though, like, episode two, where they're hanging out at Pearl's house. And at this point, I was like, okay, they're friends. Maybe they'll be more, maybe not. And they interlock their fingers yeah. and kind of like hold hands. And they're like, I'm happy. Are you happy? And the other it's one's very like, romantic. I'm ha- yeah. And I'm like, okay, they're together. Like, that's sweet. Yeah. Because I kind of thought they wouldn't be. And then when it is later like having to be like, no, they're not together. I'm like, they're not? Yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I mean, you know, not that Pearl owes anything to Moody or anything like that. No. But at least the message to the audience was that this is like a mutual reciprocating um, romance. Romance. I agree. She's not into Moody, but she is kind of into Trip, his older brother. So she has a crush on him, um, but kind of just like admiring him from afar. And then she and Lexi have kind of this interesting relationship too, where Lexi sort of like takes Pearl on as like a project and she finds Pearl interesting um, and almost is like, trying to like turn her into another version of herself a little bit. Yeah. Like helps her dress, gives her makeup. And there's a scene in the show where she buys her a dress. So like they kind of have this odd relationship too, where it seems like Pearl kind of wants to be Lexi a little bit as well. 
because Lexi is very confident, very outgoing, Mm -hmm. is sort of like the star of the high school. Yeah. And something else I'll say, too, is that like in the book, it was a little bit much because like they're both experiencing these different lives. When Moody first meets Pearl and sees Mia at their house, he's like, oh, my God, like you guys don't own furniture. Like, what? (laughs) And he's like, you sleep on a mattress on the floor. What? He's like, how do people live like this? And he's like very overtaken by it. Yeah. And similarly, when Pearl goes to uh, Moody's house, the Richardson house, she's just like overwhelmed and she thinks they're all so cool and like so casual and like so relaxed. Yeah. Golden and blonde and yeah. stunning and tan. <laughs> I'm like, okay, let's pump the brakes. Like, you've met an a, a entitled, like, kid before. You know yeah, what I mean? Like, like a rich white kid. Because, I mean, if she is well-traveled and has been to many places, I feel like she must have met many people. Like, yeah. poor and rich and what have you. So, in the book, this was, like, the most simplistic I think these dynamics got was at the beginning yeah where it was like all right this isn't that crazy or as crazy as the characters make it out to be yeah but clearly the um Pearl's family and the like Richardson family are kind of like very fascinated by each other Mm -hmm. and also like become linked almost immediately and kind of on the opposite end of that Pearl getting involved in the Richardson family Izzy the youngest Richardson child becomes kind of involved um, with Mia, actually, and senses like a kindred spirit in Mia almost immediately. Um, They both really are kind of an artistic nature. Yeah. And they both kind of have this sense of like self that's very strong, I think. Izzy really does know who she is or is trying to figure out who she is. And it's kind of cool. Izzy sort of becomes Mia's like art assistant. Yeah. Yeah, and it's nice, like, Izzy finding, I mean, like, as the story goes, their relationship only grows, and uh, Izzy really sees Mia as kind of this other mother figure. Yeah. Someone who kind of, like, sees her for who she is, and is not trying to change her. Yeah, and so I I like that bond that forms, and kind of how, at different times, like, Pearl is looking up to Elena, and Izzy is looking up to Mia, and kind of questioning, like, what their roles are as mothers, and if they're fulfilling them or not. Mm -hmm. And just the different way that people parent, and how you can grow up in very different families, Mm -hmm. and depending on your personality, like, that might be a good fit for you, or it might not be. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, moving on to... Elena and Mia. Elena and Mia. Cracks knuckles. (laughs) (laughs) Let's get into this. They kind of have an interesting first encounter, and it it is similar in both versions where Elena sees uh, her, like we talked about, her renting at this apartment is like giving back to the community and to people who are lesser off than herself. And her, of course, later when she runs into Mia offering her a job, as a housekeeper. As a housekeeper at her house. Uh, this stuff plays out similarly in both versions, but the biggest shift in this story, in this adaptation to the show, is that Mia and Pearl are both black. Yeah. As opposed to the novel, which doesn't specify it, but it's heavily implied that they're white. Yeah. And this is where we get into such a dense topic to discuss definitely with this adaptation because on one hand it is a a single kind of um 
shift in subject, you know, kind of adding another filter to the story, looking at it through um, this lens of race and how race plays into a lot of these interactions. Yeah. And suddenly when an encounter occurs the same between the book and show, but in the show Mia is black, suddenly Elena asking her if she wants to be her housekeeper. Yeah, has a lot more connotations to it. Yeah, and it's really hard <laughs> if if you've read the book and you have an idea of the scenes and motivations in the scenes to kind of figure out how you maybe feel or are supposed to interpret certain parts of the story now. I agree. And I think it's interesting because it's clear that the creators and writers involved in the show really wanted to portray race in a complex way. And I think they do. Um, and there are a lot of great scenes um, and also interactions between the white Richardson family and then Mia and Pearl who are black that feel very well developed and thought through. But then there are other parts where I can tell they're like overcompensating. So for instance, like in the book, Mia has this quiet strength to her. Yeah. And as and she becomes their housekeeper for a while, um, mainly just to keep an eye on Pearl because she's a little wor- worried Pearl is like too fascinated with the family. Yeah. But she ends up kind of like showing kindness and caring for Izzy and then also Lexi in certain parts of the story. And I think the show specifically was trying to avoid the trope of like the black servant character who mm. like cares for the white children. Yeah, that's a very good point um, because it easily could have slipped into that uh, hemisphere of that trope. Yeah. You know what I mean? But then on the other hand, I think they tried to compensate for that, but then went a little farther in the opposite direction where Mia is very standoffish. Yeah, she's like constantly projecting kind of a hostility, it seems, mm-hmm. or a standoffishness. Which like in many, many, most cases is like completely deserved because sure. the way that she's treated by the Richardsons is terrible. Um but when you've read the book and you're like thinking of things in a certain way and then they happen differently, again, it's just that question of like, why was this decision made? Does this make sense for the character in the story? And I think it's just an interesting and very nuanced question. And I think sometimes it works in the show and I really like the results. And then other times I'm wondering like why this change was made and if it was necessary. Yeah, and especially because, like, when, I mean, it, it really, I mean, the creator of or showrunner of the show and a lot of the cast members have talked about this is a show about race now. Yeah. But, like, does the plot um, naturally progress in a way or come to a conclusion that is still about that subject? Yeah. And I don't always feel like it was kind of, you know, when it wasn't originally created with that as the focal point, like race is a factor in this story in the novel. Yes. Uh, in a very interesting kind of unique nuanced way. Uh, but then at other points in the show, especially at the beginning. And I think one of my biggest issues is, is like a lot of these encounters are these kind of like faux pas, like 
saying something like really ignorant mm-hmm. uh, to Pearl or to Mia and a lack of self-awareness on the Richardson family. Yeah. And they really just come out of the gate strong. Yeah. On like, this is a show about like white people not knowing when to shut the fuck up. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> and I, I think ultimately it's a, it comes out of the gate strong with that and then it keeps going with that and it never really feels like the characters evolve away from that yeah. or gain much self-awareness and so it almost just becomes kind of exhausting yeah like i really almost wish that in a way that that the aspect of the race was less talked about because there's even a scene where uh elena is talking to her husband after the job offer to Mia, and she's like what that wasn't racist was it was that racist yeah and like having this whole discussion on was it racist or not when I think, like, the audience can, like... Yeah. We get the subtext of that scene and mm-hmm. why it's cringy. And, like, I think the follow-up isn't necessary in a way. Yeah. And I kind of wish... I think it would have been much more impactful if, like, it was bubbling under the surface. Yeah. Where you as the audience, you're aware of kind of all the coded messages and microaggressions going on. And then if they had that, because there is kind of a blow up halfway through between Mia and Elena. Yeah. And if at that point in the show, they're like, okay, let's address the elephant in the room. Let's fucking talk about this. I think it would have been much more like. Effective. Yeah. Because you as the audience would also be like, yes. Oh my God. Can we please talk about this? Yeah, I agree. I I think it would have built up in a more natural way, but it just happened so strong at the beginning. Yeah. That I think by the halfway point, I'm like, oh my God, like. (laughs) Can someone <gasps> learn a lesson, please? <laughs> yeah. Can someone please stop mentioning the Martin Luther King Jr. <laughs> March on Washington? Yeah. Ugh. And also, there's also the issue of kind of like the show is a lot of the black characters, Mia and Lexi's boyfriend, Brian, who's also black. Yeah. Having to explain to the white characters why they're being racist. <laughs> yeah. And it happens a lot. Yeah. And it's like. That's not black people's jobs to explain no. to white people why. Why it, they need to not be racist. Why they need, yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, and so that's another thing that it's kind of like, that's not their job, but it kind of is being it in the show. Yeah, that's a good point. So a lot, like there's so much that we could dissect in this show. Yeah. Scene for scene. Absolutely. Arc wise and everything dealing with race. And it's like. It's hard to take that all into account when discussing it. It definitely is. And I am interested in the show doing this. And I think it's really cool that they did that. Um, But I do think as someone who talks about adaptations all the time, that adds this whole new layer to the discussion. Mm -hmm. Because again, it changes everything that you're reading and like the subtext, the text, everything, um, involving like what the plot of the book is and how it's changed so yeah it just it's a totally different story and in a lot of ways that's good and then in other ways I'm like I don't know if I like that as much so yeah I mean I think the the change was smart and good and interesting it's more just like how it plays out in the story for me is a little much at points Mm -hmm. um but like we said at other points I think it's like pretty good yeah and I think it says a lot of interesting things so yeah Pivoting um, to another race topic. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk about B.B. Chow. So um, the character of B.B. Chow, she's actually a co-worker of Mia's. Mia works part-time at a Chinese restaurant um, in the Shaker area. 
And Bibi is a waitress there, um, originally from China, but came to America somewhat recently. And we find out a lot about Bibi's backstory kind of in snippets through the story and also in the show. But basically, she became pregnant, um, was abandoned by her partner, and basically had no money, no food, nothing when this baby was born. Yeah, and she's really struggling to make it by. She, And I think this is so interesting because, like, for me, I watched a lot of these scenes in the show before reading about them. Yeah. And you get a, you understand that she's struggling in the show, but you only get, like, kind of a scene or two. Mm-hmm. And then she's leaving her child at a uh, fire station Yeah, for her to be discovered because she just doesn't think she can provide for it. And it's, like, a very tragic, sad moment. But the show, I or the book, I'm sorry, later reading about it, like, makes you sympathize with her even more. Yeah. Because later, when she's, like, searching for her kid and wants her kid back, in the show, I was like, I mean, I feel bad, but you also, like, left your kid. Yeah. You know what I mean? And that's kind of like, sorry, but you gave her up. But then reading about it later, it's much more nuanced. Like, you find out more that she had, like, was dealing with, like, severe postpartum depression. You yeah. find out even more about how few resources and people she knew yeah and like her being behind on her rent not having enough money for food the fact that um her baby um her child may ling wouldn't latch so she couldn't breastfeed um and then she you know her milk dried up and she had to buy formula and then she didn't have money for that and just how tragic the whole circumstance was and her also being an immigrant not understanding like what resources were available to yeah. her even and with that she could find help. She, you know, not knowing where to look or, you know, how to find the help that she needed and in desperation, leaving her child and like later, like passing out on a park bench and like the police finding her and taking her to the hospital. Cause she was like almost yeah. dying from malnutrition. And once she, uh, you know, I think they put her on some medication for her depression. And yeah. like once she kind of came out of her fog, she was immediately like, where's my kid? Like, oh, my God, I have to find my kid. Yeah. The show was kind of like, it kind of almost made it seem like, oh, it's a year later. And now she's like, I kind of want my kid back. Yeah. Uh, and that's made clear like later on a bit more. Mm-hmm. But I think it's like, I think it really does show how books can really get into the nuance and like. They can just the gray explain areas. it. Yeah. yeah, they can explain uh, you know, all the dynamics involved and like really paint like a much more specific picture yeah. that sometimes it's much harder for a show or movie to do. Definitely. And so Bibi and Mia work together and Mia finds out that uh, Elena Richardson's very close friend, Linda McCullough, recently adopted an Asian child. Mm-hmm. And just from like, cleaning the house and like washing the dishes in the background. She like hears information (laughs) about how, uh, Linda, like, you know, they adopted this girl that was left at a fire station. So she immediately knows that this is probably BB's child. Yeah. And she knows BB's story at this point. And so she goes and well, she also knows that in in the show, there's like a birthmark on the baby and she's like, I got to find that birthmark. (laughs) And so she like during this party during, uh, the her child's first birthday she like sneaks up into her room <laughs> and is like flipping her upside down and she's like where is it where is it where, are, where is it she's like shaking the baby <laughs> <laughs> um but she finds a birthmark and so she has confirmation that this is uh bb's child yeah 
The book, just for reference, it's so much simpler. It is. She's like, oh, I heard about it. It sounds like the exact same scenario that BB told me about. I'll just tell BB that it's probably this family. Yeah. And then BB like tries to call them, shows up, and is like, I want to see my baby. And it that's the situation. Yeah, that's like what sparks th- this situation. But the show is just so absurd. Yeah. And ridiculous. And this is like what lot like immediately I'm like, oh God, Mia, like what are you doing right now? Cause she leaves the party that she's been hired to photograph at. Yeah. She immediately drives over to BB's, tells her, I know where your baby is right now. And BB's like, give me your car. And, and Mia's she's like, like, okay. Okay. And then she's like, by the way, can I just like not go back and fuck your coworker? And BB's like, I don't care. So <laughs> Mia like doesn't go back to the party and she fucks this random guy who like appears in one scene again later on. Yeah. Meanwhile, BB shows up at the party, bursts in through the front door super Screaming. dramatically. And she's like, my baby. Yeah. And I was watching this. We were both like, oh my God. What is happening? Like, (laughs) Mia, why would you tell her about this and then like not be there for her to like tell her like it's not a good idea? Yeah, maybe don't like burst into the party like screaming. Maybe that's not the best way to like get her out. Because they're going to call the cops, which they do. Yes, they call the cops and like have to escort her out. And because she drove Mia's car. This is the beginning of a long streak of Mia being terrible at, like, covering her tracks <laughs> and her, like, uh, involvement in this entire situation. Mm-hmm. But it was just, like, this was peak the show milking an idea for, like, all of its dramatic potential. Definitely. And just being, They're like, like, how could this moment be, like, the most dramatic like it could possibly be? Yeah. And, like, not to compare this show too much to Big Little Lies, but, like, Big Little Lies would do that sometimes, but it was always kind of tongue-in-cheek about it. Yeah. And it always was kind of like, this is a show about, like, rich white people with, like, silly problems. Yeah, very dumb issues. Yeah, and so, like, it To compare them, it's not. No, but, like, I also feel like maybe this show was trying to do something similar, but kind of missing the vibe. Yeah. Maybe. I don't want to assume anything. No, and the issues are a lot more serious. Absolutely. Um, in the show as well, um, Mia ends up paying for BB's legal fees because a court case is kind of like happens out of all this because, you know, the state needs to determine if BB should have custody of this child or if the McCulloughs, you know, who are trying to adopt, um, Mei Ling should, um, in the book, uh, Mia kind of tells BB, like, go to the media, tell the media, tell them your story. This is going to be like a huge news story and it is and the media attention and gets the court case going and it also gets a lawyer who agrees to represent bb pro bono Mm -hmm. um whereas in the show it's a huge thing where bb's like i don't have money to pay lawyers what i'm gonna do and then mia's like i'll pay for it i'll sell this photograph i'll sell the ghosts of my past (laughs) that means a lot to me we don't know why yet and she's crying about it and so she's a lot more involved in the show I think you could have filled like three gallon jugs with the number of tears <laughs> Carrie Washington sheds on this oh, she, show. Oh, she cries so much. She she's so good so, at it. She is. No, she's, I mean, both her and like Reese Witherspoon, like, oh, even though I don't always agree with like the tone of the show and what they're hitting, like they deliver yes. in tears, if nothing else, and, <laughs> and screams. <laughs> tears and screams. Tears and screams. <laughs> um, 
so yeah, so that's like a whole other kind of side plot is this picture. And like Mia's definitely much pushier in the show for her to like pursue this legally and like I'll pay for it. And it definitely feels like she's kind of trying to settle some score from her past as well, it seems. Mm -hmm. Or also maybe kind of like this, not vengeance against Elena, but a little bit that feels like that too. Yeah. Whereas in the show or the book, she's just kind of being supportive and trying to be there for BB as much as she can be. Definitely. So, um, there's a lot of side plots in this story. And one of them involves Lexi, the oldest Richardson child and her boyfriend, Brian, who we mentioned before, um, is black and he's black in both the book and the show. And, like, they have a very interesting relationship, and I feel like this is, like, really, like, the almost, like, one of my favorite parts in the show. Yeah. Yeah. Because I, Brian, like, really calls Lexi out on her shit, but in a way that is really, like, makes sense for his character and also for Lexi's as well. You know, he, like, they clearly have affection for each other. But I think Brian is realizing the gulf between them and the kind of, like, naivety that... Lexi has in imagining that they can make this relationship work like in blindness to race like she doesn't see race and he's like this is a part of me yeah yeah they have a lot of and and in this instance the discussions on race like her trying to explain it him trying to explain it to her yeah makes more sense in terms of like he cares about her yeah and he doesn't want this to be like something between them or at least it's something that he can talk about with her yeah and so you get why he's trying to sit down with her more and like try to explain it yeah and is also more upset when she like shows her like true ignorance yeah on the subject because there's kind of this critical um other little side plot with lexi where in the book it's based on a part of the book where pearl writes her essay to get into yale for her yeah but in the show she steals Pearl's letter to like her guidance counselor about how she's not being allowed into a higher level math because she's black and a woman and, you know, comes from a poor family. So she like appropriates like completely (laughs) Pearl's, you know, situation and her struggles so that she can write like a good and compelling essay to get her into Yale. Yeah, and Brian finds out about this, and he's like, what the fuck? And he suddenly has to, like... Explain to her. Yeah, and take up this cause, like, on behalf of Pearl and just, like, black people in general and, like, you know, explain to Lexi why this isn't cool. Yeah. And Lexi's, you know, arguing about it, and once again, like, I don't see race, this wasn't about race, that kind of back and forth. Yeah. And on this little subject, I also get annoyed too because like Pearl's a part of that plot line. Yeah. But also after she finds out what Lexi did, it's like not addressed at all. No. And that's one of my biggest issues too is like Mia and Brian both deal with the subject of race a lot in the show and have to confront it and address it. Yeah. And it feels like less so for Pearl in ways. I'd agree. Specifically in this instance because yeah. like in the following episode after this all comes out, Pearl's just, like, hanging out with Lexi as if, like, nothing has happened. Yeah. And we have no idea how she feels about what happened Mm -hmm. or, like, what even occurred. So, like, that's kind of another little issue I think I had. Like, I loved everything with Brian and Lexi revolving around that. But Pearl was just kind of, like, jettisoned out of the discussion. I agree. And then around this time as well, Lexi finds out that she's pregnant. 
and she asked Pearl to go with her to the clinic to get an abortion. And it's sad because we can tell that this is a really tough decision for Lexi. Um, but ultimately she knows that because of like the expectations put on her, the life she wants to have, that she can't keep this child. Um, but she chooses to put Pearl's name on the clinic intake form. Yeah. And then when this abortion is, you know, done, she ends up back at Mia's place because she can't, she feels like she can't go home. Yeah. And, you know, Pearl is like, in the show, this is where she's more devastated about what Lexi did. So at this point, at least, like, Pearl is like, I guess in this situation, having to confront, like, Lexi's racism. Yeah. Because she's even at one point, like... It matters more if people think I had an abortion <laughs> than if you had oh an abortion. Oh, my God. Yeah. God. <laughs> Just, like, both feet need crammed down Lexi's throat. It's, like, so terrible and cringy. And the situations are so different because of the racial connotations. Yeah. And then the way that things play out, too, with Mia, because in the book, Mia is very nurturing and sympathetic towards Lexi and is kind of, like you know what, you were the only person that could make this decision and, like, you just have to deal with it. Like, it's not a right or wrong thing. Like, this is just something you'll have to carry and, like, I know you can do it. And she's just very, like, supportive in a way that you can tell Lexi wouldn't have been able to get from her own mother, from Elena. Yeah. But because of this, like, race aspect in the show, Mia is a lot more harsh and kind of gives Lexi some, like, real talk and is just like, listen, you think that you can just use my daughter... But you yeah. can't. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, it's so frustrating because like, I do think Lexi needed some of that. Yeah. But I also think they went too far. I know. Cause you do feel so much sympathy for her, like going through that. Yeah. And also like she's 17 or yeah. maybe 18, I guess. And like, she has lived her whole life in a very like, uh, kind of closed off wealthy Wealthy. community yeah Yeah. and she hasn't had a lot of uh experience out in the world so for her to be like post-abortion and then mia's like let's talk about your fucking privilege and like just laying into her yeah and just being like super like pretty harsh to her like i'm like ah, she needed it but it was maybe the wrong moment to give it to her i'm like somewhere in the middle would have been like far better like her being like understanding but then also like you need to apologize to pearl for like what you did and like that's not cool yeah like it was just like once again like really going hard (laughs) for the drama (laughs) it was and and once again like i swear to god pearl or um lexi like none of this sticks no like, no, <laughs> he would think this would be the moment. No, that this would change her. But like, uh, uh-uh. yeah. And this leads like later she and Brian break up, which is sad. And they have in the show another conversation about race. And it's still kind of not getting through to her. And you can see why he has decided to end it in the book. They just kind of drift apart. And I think the abortion like has taken a toll on Lexi and yeah. she just like doesn't have it in her anymore. Um, So, yeah, they, they break up. Yeah. And. Around this time, too, uh, like, I think it's, like, episode four of the show, we kind of get this uh, confrontation between Elena and Mia that isn't in the book. Yeah. And is a very big divergence from the source material. Yeah. Um, Elena figures out that Mia was involved in BB showing up, yeah, basically. because Mia's terrible at covering her tracks. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Um, and in the book, she doesn't really do anything 
with this knowledge to Mia's face, but in the show, they kind of have this showdown. Yeah. Um, and Elena fires her from the housekeeping job and is basically like, you're deceitful, you're manipulative. You're a you're bad a terrible mom. Per- yeah, she calls her a bad mother. Um, all this stuff. And Mia kind of shoots it back to her like, well, you're a freaking racist. Like, <laughs> I also, Mia has a great line where she says, you didn't make good choices. You had good choices. I love that line. That's a really good line. Um, Because it speaks to not only her white privilege, but also her class privilege, mm -hmm. which is super important because it's so true that, you know, people with less money or people who, you know, are viewed as as less because of their race um, don't have the same options that others have. Yeah. And they're kind of just getting by with like what is available to them, what choices and options they have. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, that's just like a really good summarizing line for yeah. her entire like throwdown to Elena. Definitely. <laughs> uh, and yeah, a lot of the other um, aspects of race come up. And this is where what I was referring to earlier, where like if this was the first time that like race was really brought up between them yeah. or in the show in general, like I think it would have been much more like, okay, we're finally addressing this. Yeah. And more impactful. Definitely. Cause as much as I love that Mia line, I think given all the discussion we've had about race up until now in the show, it like is kind of just reiterating that point in a yeah, way. I agree. And the fallout from this is kind is very extreme in the show too. Uh, Mia forbids Pearl from ever going over there again. Yeah. And then like Pearl goes over anyway because she's mad. And then Mia shows up in the rain in the car screaming outside the house like, get out of the car. <laughs> They're like, what is happening? Like, I have no idea. I know. It was just so dramatic. The um, amount of screaming in this show is wild. And Elena similarly forbids Izzy from going over to Mia's again either. There's also a weird... Like, Elena and Mia kind of seem to be forming a friendship in episode two of the show. Yeah. And then there's this, like, fallout. And then it's just, like, them being angry with each other. Yeah. And it kind of feels like the friendship that was kind of seeming to be forming between them kind of, like, factored into nothing, ultimately. Yeah. Like, they never try to, like, make amends or anything. Like, not that Elena deserves it or anything like no, that. No, no. But I was kind of like, I'm not sure why we were being led to think that they were... Could be friends or were trying to be. Yeah, it kind of felt, like, odd. Like, an odd choice narratively. Yeah, I agree. Uh, so they have this fallout. And at this point, I'm like, this is only episode four out of eight. Like, they're already forbidden <laughs> yeah. from seeing each other. Like, Pearl is definitely not going to follow this rule. Like, what's going to happen? <laughs> Uh, Elena takes this opportunity, though, because she's pissed at Mia to investigate Mia's past because something is not quite right, as she says. Yeah. And she keeps like using um, her friend Linda, who's fighting for custody over um, Mei Ling, the baby. She's kind of using this as the excuse like Mia is the reason this has all happened. Yeah. I have to find out who she is. And it's like really frustrating because I'm like. If she really wants to help Linda, and I'm, we find out later, at least in the book, that, like, she wasn't allowed to write about the case. Yeah. Because her husband ends up representing her friend Linda. Yeah. But throughout the book and the show, I'm like, why doesn't she, like, try writing? Because, like, the public opinion is very important in this case. Yeah. Like, why isn't she writing about this and trying to, like, 
at least give Linda's side, like if she actually cares, like and wants to do something. Yeah, it's clearly personal for her because she's mad at Mia. Yes. Um, but we find out like a ton about Mia's past through Elena's investigation. Um, we find out that she had a different last name originally. She grew up near Pittsburgh. Yeah, Pittsburgh. <laughs> uh, in Bethel Park in the book and McKeesport in the show. Um, and that she went to art school, was super into photography when she was young. Her and her brother were really close when she was growing up. Went to art school in New York City, kind of against the wishes of her parents. Mm-hmm. Um, and while in art school, kind of really found her passion and her creativity and was mentored by one of her pre- professors, Pauline Hawthorne, I think. That sounds right. Yeah. Um, who was like a very well-known photographer. Yeah. And this is, you know, she's kind of living her dream uh, Pauline is this big influence on her. And around this time, she has this very odd encounter with a man on a subway. Yeah. And it's funny because the show has been hinting at this for a while. She keeps having dreams about this man glaring at her on the subway. Yeah. And she won't tell, Mia won't tell Pearl who her father is or anything about her past. And this memory seems traumatizing. And I'm just like, oh, God, oh, God, oh, God. When is this man going to assault her and yeah. like rape her? Like, you're just like waiting for it. But I, I kind of really loved the subversion where, like, when he finally approaches her, he's, like, this very, like, sincere mild mannered mild mannered guy and is, like, oh, my God, I'm so sorry. Like, can I talk to you, please? Like, don't hurt me. <laughs> yeah, and he says that she looks just like his wife. And he and his wife have been trying to have a child for a long time and are actually looking for a woman to be their surrogate. And not just to carry the baby for them, but to, like, physically... Um, you know, have the child and to have her genes be in this child. Yeah, because I guess at this point, like, um, the whole, like, what is it? Implantation process was probably not happening yeah. yet. This is the nineties. I don't know if you mentioned that. Yeah. No. Well, actually, so it'd been the eighties. Oh yeah, because it was before Pearl was born. Yeah. So, yeah. This was the eighties. Yeah. So like. Yeah, so basically, like, it would have to be her child with biologically. Biologically, yes. But, like, artificial insemination and everything, you know. And so she's at first like, I don't want to fuck with this. Like, no, thank you. <laughs> yeah. But then she needs money to stay yeah. in art school. And she's like, you know what? Maybe I will fuck with this. Mm-hmm. And so she agrees to have this child and carry it for this couple for $12,000, which will be enough to keep her in art school and pursuing her passion and what she's after. Yeah. And she, in the show, she has more than just a mentor relationship with her professor. They actually become lovers. Yeah. Um, and I'm fine with them. This happening as like a queer aspect to Mia's character. What I'm not fine with is the predatory professor student relationship. That's portrayed in like kind of a positive way here. Yeah, because to be fair, if this was a reversal and it was like a male professor like banging his student, which I mean, there are plenty of shows and movies and stuff that do that. Like we would be much we would be very critical of that. Yeah. And I am like willing. I I am usually a little bit more lenient when it's a queer relationship, because a lot of times it's like they, you know, if they're still closeted or not, you know, out 
then, you know, they may have fewer people to confide in and like meet and stuff, you know, like call me by your name. Yeah. Like there's a significant age difference, but I'm a little more lenient, you know, but with this professor relationship, like there's clearly a power imbalance and Mia is very young, 19 or 20. Um, so yeah, it's just really weird that this was the decision that was made. Um, because in the book, she has a very close relationship with her professor, but it's more like a family connection, like mentor, almost like they are her, her adopted family now. Yeah. Because, um, uh, what the professor's name, Pauline, Pauline, Pauline is in a queer relationship in the book too. She has a partner who she's with. Yeah. But yeah, but they're more like parental figures to her people that she looks up to and take care of her. Mm -hmm. And yeah, so in, in a way it feels much more like they genuinely just care about her. Yeah. And the show, it's like, I still think like she cares about her and everything, but when you factor in like, okay. And they were lovers. And they were also lovers. It's like, ah, okay. Like, you know, and in fact, in the book, it's almost, it's kind of more implied that, um, Mia's asexual in a way. Huh? I, I read that and I've also, I also kind of got, I, I, I kind of forget what part I, I maybe shouldn't even mention it. Cause I have no reference to, to point out, but I did read it in an article to that kind of reference that as well. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, so Mia decides to have this, to, to carry this baby for this family. But then her brother dies in an accident and she ends up going home. Her family is not supportive of her. Mm-hmm. Not even when they find out that it's like not her child. They kind of disown her. And she sort of makes the snap decision suddenly to just run away. And run away from her family run away from art school, run away from this couple that she's going to have this baby for and to claim this child as her own. And I think we're meant to believe that like losing her brother made her realize, you know, what she has in her daughter Mm -hmm. and how valuable that is. And so she kind of like goes rogue and, you know, has Pearl and then begins this nomadic life, you know, running from a lot of different things and still pursuing her art, but having this like very intense connection with her daughter. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, this was something else that was like, I had to think about a lot with the show is that like the show very heavily is about motherhood. Yeah. Um, and like the bond of mother and child and the responsibility in a scene later on, Mia gives like a passion speech about like, pushing a child out of her body and yeah. like that connection can't be broken and everything. But it does kind of make you think like, well, but that Pearl was still Joe. Half of. Yeah, yeah. Joe Ryan's kid. And Mia was just kind of like. Took that away from him. Yeah. And I, I don't think the show adequately addresses kind of that contradiction yeah or you know how that's kind of fucked up in its own way how i don't think the book does either though no the book i didn't think it did but also (laughs) our memories i don't know like at least for me of what's in the show and what's in the book and comparing them get very muddled yeah i think because like with a show there's so much there's like almost as much content as the book yeah and but a lot of things are skewed or changed or altered. So sometimes I'm like, was wait, that did that about? happen? Yeah. Wait, no, was this book or movie? And it's it's hard to follow sometimes. But yeah, I didn't recall the book really addressing that much no. either. Yeah. And Elena like goes in the show. She goes to New York City. Then she goes to Pittsburgh in the book. She goes to Pittsburgh to meet with Mia's parents and 
find out dirt on Mia's past. And she's like full rogue right now. Like she's going so rogue. <laughs> yeah. And the timing is really interesting because actually when she's going off to investigate this, Lexi is actually having her abortion. So I think the contrast is nice because it's like while Elena is off being like, I'm going to solve this mystery. I'm Nancy Drew. Like her own daughter is, you know, hiding this very huge thing from her. And she's yeah. so invested in trying to like vindicate her anger and like resentment towards Mia and like find out her past that she's blind to like what's happening in her own family. Um, but I think the show really like shows us how off the rails Elena is at this point, you know, in the show, she like meets up with an old lover. She's like really like not calling her husband and Mm -hmm. everything is just, she's just full rogue right now. Full rogue. There is another nice moment in the show though, kind of like bringing up the difference in, uh, how white people are treated versus black people where Elena is found asleep on the side of the road in her car by a cop. And the cop is like, Hey, are you okay? You should be careful. This isn't a great neighborhood. Yeah. And it's just like, that's like all we needed. And it's like, Oh shit. Like that's a really good scene just to like highlight that. Let's talk a bit about Izzy. Yes. Cause once again, uh, another entire character, trait or representation being worked into this story that like really changes a lot. Yeah. In the show, Izzy is clearly, you know, a lesbian or queer, um, or is grappling with trying to figure that out. And she's young, you know, she's 14, but she's being bullied at school. She's being bullied by her siblings. She has a mom who doesn't understand her, who refuses to understand her, and who also is unwilling to listen to anything that Izzy might have to say. And so she's just, she's going through a lot. I think the actress who plays uh, young Izzy is like really good. I think she does a really good job. Yeah. And something else I really love about this storyline is that um, it feels like a little more topical to the 90s. Definitely. Because they're bullying her by like putting up uh, the the time cover of Ellen DeGeneres when she came out publicly. Yeah. And, you know, I I think that's kind of really a really good reminder of where like where we are in time. Yes. And where we are in a conversation about representation and um, acceptance of the LGBTQ community. Yeah. And so I really liked them incorporating that aspect into the story and Mm -hmm. making it topical to the 90s. Yeah. Where sometimes like the race components, I'm like, what is the 90s? How does this play into this subject? Yeah. It helps to remind us what's happening. Yeah. And with this issue, I'm like, okay, I, I, I think this is a really interesting angle to at least address, like something to address with this. Yeah. And in the show too, Elena and Izzy have a, a different relationship as well, because we find out through flashbacks and Elena's backstory that she actually didn't want to have her fourth child. She didn't want to have Izzy. Um, she wanted to go back to work. She wanted, you know, to raise her kids and still be working, um, but was unexpectedly pregnant and was sort of pressured by her husband and mother to keep Izzy and then has like since resented her for it. Yeah. And I this was especially funny to me as a change from the book, because the book was like very specifically like Izzy's siblings made fun of her as being like the unexpected child yeah. or the one that they weren't, uh, you know, wanting and the book, the author is very clear, like, no, they wanted this many kids. They wanted four kids. But unfortunately, there were a lot of complications with Izzy. Uh, she was 
born premature. Mm -hmm. There were a lot of health problems early on. And this kind of led to a chain of Elena worrying about her as she grew up. Were there any developmental problems due to her being born premature? Physical problems, like mental problems. uh, Yeah. So this like close scrutiny of Izzy developed into this overprotectiveness, this nitpicking, mm -hmm. this like you know, really smothering of Izzy. And of course, Izzy being a strong-willed character, like reacting against that. So creating this unhealthy dynamic, but coming from this place of compassion and care and getting twisted along the way, where in the show, it's very clearly like, oh, I didn't want you to be born and now I hate you. <laughs> oh my God, yeah. And so it was, like, a little, it was a little much. It was so much, yeah. And just like, I, I, I don't know. But uh, I did. I do have to give a shout out, though, because it's I think episode six of the show is the flashback show for both Mia and Elena. Yeah. And I just have to say the actresses who play the young versions of them are so good, specifically the actress playing a young Reese Witherspoon. Oh, my God. She nailed it so much, like especially (laughs) in the voice and the way she talked. Yeah. Like very convincing. And, you know, because she's only playing a version that's like. Not even 20 years younger. Yeah. I think like 15 years younger. And it's like they probably... I could see them trying to do it with, with Reese Witherspoon, but like them casting whoever this actress was. It was perfect. She was great. I, I was like it. constantly just in awe of like, oh my gosh, she sounds just like her. <laughs> <laughs> but I do think this, um, you know story with Izzy and her grappling with, you know, possibly coming out or coming to terms with her sexuality is really interesting. And the showrunner um, is actually a bisexual woman herself. So I think this was very near and dear to her heart. Um, And it also gives a little more to Izzy's bond with Mia. And in fact, they have this really great scene later on where Mia kind of gives Izzy hope for the future and you know Izzy says something like all I can see is like ocean and sky like she's treading water um yeah and Mia says you won't swim forever yeah and it's, it's, it's very beautiful it is a really nice scene I like them being able to bond in this way yeah like even though I don't love Mia's um backstory and her relationship with her professor I like that they have this to bond over and yeah and it, and it makes events that happen later and Izzy's reaction to them feel more earned or make more sense. Yeah. That she has this very specific bond with Mia. Yeah, someone that understands her for the first time in her life. Yeah, yeah. So Izzy's, Izzy's arc is interesting in the show. Yeah. And I think what they do with it... Um, I like overall. I think it works pretty well. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, Pearl and Trip start doing it. Oh my God. I was like, <laughs> once again, I think I was the show, you're watching this show and this part came up first where Pearl's like, hey, you want to come over and study? And Trip's like, yeah, okay. And then they're studying and then they're making out. And then Pearl's like, do you want to fuck? And I was like, <laughs> what is happening? Like, it was so quick. Yeah. And like almost out of the blue. And to be fair, it is in the it's book. It's the same way. Yeah. Too. Mm-hmm. Um, I think maybe getting some insight into the characters' minds helps ease that a little bit, but it's still very fast. Yeah. Uh, you can tell that Pearl kind of like wants to be with Trip, and is sort of like, all right, let's let's do this. Yeah. Yeah. And he's like very interested in her because she's very different from the girls that he's dated in the past. In the book, that means 
you know, smart, um, you know, introspective, free spirited in the show. I think the racial aspect is there a little bit, but it's not, it's definitely not explored as much as other of the relationships. Yeah. Yeah. And so they start banging on the DL (laughs) and they're like, don't tell Moody, which by the way, Moody has been like almost completely dropped from the show for like three episodes from the story too, from the book. Yeah. Yeah. He's just kind of like, I'm Pearl's friend and you know that. So (laughs) I have no reason to be around to do. Uh, He does find out though, and it all falls out pretty dramatically in both the book and the show. Um, he and Trip get into like a physical fight in both mm-hmm. versions. And unfortunately, Moody, who we thought was just like a sensitive and kind of in touch with himself boy, turns out to be just another fuckboy. Yeah, it's very disappointing. Like, I, I don't dislike it because I mean, that's such it happens all the time. A type of person. Yeah, that's like way more common than mm-hmm. they should be. That, like, as soon as he's rejected, he, like, calls her a slut. Yeah. And it's very upsetting to see mm-hmm. this happen to Moody. Or, like, I, for Moody to react in this way. Because, I mean, to be honest, like, I think the viewer and reader has a lot of sympathy for Moody up until yeah. this point. Oh, yeah. It's like, oh, uh, he, like, really liked her. And especially in this show, like, like we said, uh, Pearl really seemed to be reciprocating feelings towards him. Yeah. So for then her to go to trip felt like, oh, that's kind of a little like shitty. Yeah. But then for him to, yeah, immediately like betray her. Um, I do like that Izzy kind of calls him out in both the book and the show. Yeah. And she kind of is that voice that we're all trying to scream at Moody, which is like, she's not yours. Yeah, I did like this. It was maybe like a little too rehearsed of a speech, kind of, maybe, in my opinion. Like I liked it. I, I, I liked her calling him out. Um, but yeah, I Moody did absolutely need to hear that because he's just being like a fucking crybaby. And basically, like the arc for Trip is that like he's slightly deeper than we think he is. <laughs> yeah. And then Moody is like way more, shallower. Way shallower than we think he is. And it's just like they just kind of even <laughs> out. Like those are our characters. <laughs> those are the guys in this story. Yeah. <laughs> uh but yeah, but um Trip and Pearl's relationship, I think, is sweet in a lot of ways. Like yeah. Trip is like able to be more open with her and, you know, more honest than maybe he is with like other girls that he's dated or slept with in the past mm-hmm. and uh you know pearl is also i think affectionate towards him and likes him so I, yeah. I do like that aspect of the story i do too of course there's more tragedy that awaits us um and that's in the court case involving mei ling the baby and who she really belongs with and this is such a interesting and important part of the story that I think gets a little bit overshadowed in the show by um, a lot of the other racial discussions that are had. But in the book, it really feels like this is the central story, the story of BB and her wanting to be reunited with her child and having been like an imperfect mother and been someone who has made mistakes. But, and then contrasting this with this white family upper class who wants to adopt this child and kind of this question and this dialogue of like, you know, can they give her a better life? Yeah. But like, just because you can give someone a better life, does that mean like you have like a right to the child? Yeah. Yeah. I don't think I've ever read a scenario in a book that was so, 
that had me feeling so conflicted as this. And like, obviously every character in the story is also conflicted. And I love that. Mm -hmm. Like even Mr. Richardson, who's representing Linda, who's like a longtime family friend, like even by the end, he's like, God, I don't even know what I feel about this. Yeah. Because on one hand, like, yeah, BB, you know, wasn't able to provide for her kid and had to like leave her child. And, you know, maybe she's shown that she's not capable of raising um, Mei Ling. Yeah. But then on the other hand, it's like, yeah, it was she fucked up. But uh, is she not entitled to another chance? And is this playing out the way it is because she's Asian American? Yeah. You know what I mean? And like, what's her race? You know, how's that factoring into this situation and this dialogue? Yeah. And this leads into a really nuanced discussion about what it means to be connected to your culture, interracial adoption, and what that can mean for the child, what that can mean for the parents. Um, And it was just so interesting. And I really felt like the author was drawing on her culture and her experiences as an Asian American growing up in, you know, a very white community in a white world. Um, And I did just want to read like a little portion from this part. And this is where the um, lawyer who is also Asian, who's representing Bibi is talking about how devoid the culture, our culture is of representation. So he's talking about books that represent, you know, Asian characters. How about other books, Mrs. McCullough? Any other books with Chinese characters? Mrs. McCullough bit her lip. I haven't really looked for them, she admitted. I hadn't thought about it. I can save you some time, said Ed Lim. There really aren't many. So Mei Ling has no dolls that look like her and no books with pictures of people that look like her. Ed Lim paced a few more steps. Nearly two decades later, others would raise this question, would talk about books as mirrors and windows, and Ed Lim, tired by then, would find himself as frustrated as he was grateful. We've always known, he would think. What took you so long? Yeah. And just this conversation, and as someone who works in a library with books and is, you know, trying to think about these questions myself, like, you know, what does it mean when children don't see themselves in their culture? Yeah. And what does it mean for a Chinese child to grow up with a white family and to have no context for who she is. Yeah, or where she comes from, or mm-hmm. any of that. Yeah, and I think uh, those are all really valid questions, because I think uh, a lot of people have the sentiment, or have had for many years, the way a lot of the towns members feel, including Elena, where it's like, I don't, you know, it doesn't matter if I don't see the race. child, I don't see race, it doesn't matter if she's Chinese or black, it only matters that her parents love her and will provide for her and all this other stuff. And it's such a overly simplistic view of the issue. And it's such an ignorant view. Absolutely. Yeah. That, a privileged view. That like love is the only thing. Mm-hmm. And it's like just because you haven't had to deal with race on a personal in a personal way doesn't mean your child won't. And how are you going to address that when they get older and deal with that? Yeah. Uh, yeah, and so, like, this is such an interesting, nuanced discussion, and the way, like, the book kind of goes back and forth in terms of, like, and, and I think it does paint a very sympathetic view of Linda, 
too. Yeah. Like her heart is in the right place and she really does want to try. As someone who's had many miscarriages, has been unable to have a child, you know, really loving this baby and wanting to be her mother. And yeah, I agree. I think you have so much sympathy for her. And then on the other hand, you're able to see her ignorance. You're able Mm -hmm. to see how blind she is to what this child will need and what this child will face growing up as you know, an Asian child in a white family. Yeah. And so I, I don't like the pages that I read for this. I was just like so engrossed in. Yeah. Especially when it was like saying things against uh, BB. Yeah. As a mother, but then giving the opposite context and like. Yeah. Going back and forth as to like whether she was fit to take Mei Ling back and like raise her as her own. Mm-hmm. And uh, the factors that are going against her, whether. um you know, created by herself or others, you know, I I just thought it was like, so, so interesting. And I really loved it. Yeah, it's a really great, this is my favorite part of the book, for sure. Um, It plays out pretty similarly in the show. um, Except, like, there's this whole element in the show where uh, Elena confronts Mia. Because Mia is going to be a character witness for BB. Yeah, in the court case. And it's basically like, if you go on the stand to defend uh, BB, then I'll reveal your entire past with the Ryans and the fact that you like stole your child away from them. Um, and so then Mia's in this like really terrible situation. So this just like furthers the divide between Mia and Elena and the rift between them is just growing and growing. And Elena is becoming more and more of a villain uh, in this situation. Yeah. And like, I, I don't know. I feel like I'm more comfortable with like them cementing her as the villain. Yeah. And not that I'm not even saying that I'd like to go back and rewatch this show, but I would be interested to just knowing that they're going to commit to her being the villain. Yeah. Because I think with it being Reese Witherspoon. You want to like her. You want to like her. And I, I do think that's an interesting aspect. And you're like. By this point in the story, like, fuck, like, I even if they try to, like, make her likable or redeem her at the end of this story, like, can she be? Probably not. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, the McCulloughs win the court case. So Mei Ling is going to stay with them. And it's implied that they are not going to allow BB to see her daughter at all. Yeah. And this is just completely devastating for BB to hear. She's, like, just completely just overwhelmed with... Uh, just emotions and sadness and grief over yeah. everything that has gone on. Mm-hmm. And Mia's trying to be there for her and help her. But like, I mean, what can you do and say in that situation? Yeah. And in this portion as well, Elena solidifying her role as a villain in the show decides to tell Pearl about Mia's past in the show. This does not happen in the book. Man. Um. Yeah. There's just Elena... Like, I feel like we've talked more at this point about Mia and, like, a lot of the things that have, like, that she's done that's made her, like, frustrating and kind of unlikable. But, I mean, Elena is that times 50. Oh, yeah. Especially near the end with her threatening Mia, with her uh, telling Pearl about her past. Yeah. And just, like, everything she does is, like, so horrendously despicable and cold and and calculating and manipulative. Yeah, and just the way that she expects to get 
everything that she wants is so infuriating and upsetting and you just want to smack her so hard. (laughs) Yeah. Like, and I mean, this leads into, you know, the further plot of the story where Elena is like on a mission to like dig up dirt on BB's past. And there's this whole situation where she's trying to find like, did BB possibly try to have an abortion or had one in the past? Like, I'm going to like, pressure this woman that I know to like give me the records which is illegal oh my god yeah and just the the lengths that she's willing to go to get what she wants it's just so ridiculous yeah and I think it's interesting too because the whole her pressuring her friend to give her like medical records about abortions is like so unethical horrendous and unethical but and it happens both in the book and the show almost the the exact same yeah whereas the show in the book at this point like it's just revealing about her. Yeah. Like you knew she was shitty in in certain ways and, you know, could be, you know, um, entitled. Manipulative. Manipulative. But like this is like a new peak for her. And it's like, wow, I really see her for like how she is in yeah. this moment. But in the show, it's just like more icing on more icing on more icing on the cake <laughs> of her like, shittiness. We know. <laughs> I know. I'm like, oh my God, we know at this point. We get it. She's horrible. And this leads to the abortion shuffle, as we like to call it. <laughs> Just like think the Cupid shuffle to the right, to the right, to the left, yes. to the left, now kick. Um, but instead it's who had the abortion? <laughs> <laughs> this part is so like it's kind of almost funny in a way because like it's so convoluted and like overly complicated. And it's this way in the book and yes, in yes. the show. So we are equally criticizing both in this situation because it makes it makes sense, but it also doesn't. And I don't know why we had to do it. it yeah, because like Lexi giving Pearl's name at the abortion clinic now means that Elena thinks Pearl is the one who had the abortion. And, and she knows that Pearl is friends with Moody. So then she thinks that it's Moody's child. So she tells Moody, listen, I know that Pearl had an abortion. And it's your baby. And I'm mad at you. And he's like, um, actually, I just found out that she's fucking Trip, so you need to talk to him. And she's like, okay, wrong son. Go talk to Trip, I guess. Um, and then we know for sure that Pearl is not involved at all, and it's actually Lexi. So it like flips from Elena thinking it's one son, then the other son, and then daughter. (laughs) (laughs) Pearl is not involved. You mean, yeah, Pearl's not involved. And also Izzy's like the only Richardson child who's like left out of the abortion uh, (laughs) drama that's going on in their household. Yeah. But it's just ridiculous that like, the author constructed this series of events where she thought it was one kid. No, it's this kid. No, wait, it's actually this kid that got the abortion. And Mia or Elena doesn't know exactly what happened, but this is sort of the last straw for her. And she shows up at Mia's house and is like, um, I'm evicting you. You have to get the fuck out. Yeah. And it's weird that like Pearl. Well, I mean, I guess because she thinks it was Tripp's kid. Yeah. I guess that's why she's upset with Pearl getting the abortion. Part of me is like, why is this like the straw that broke the camel's back? I don't understand. (laughs) But um, yeah, Elena shows up to Pearl or to Mia's house and is like, you have to go. Yeah. And of course, the show has to like triple down on this drama. (laughs) And Mia. Well, first of all, Elena says, I know Pearl got an abortion. Um, and Mia like laughs yeah like laughs in her face and it was like it was your fucking daughter that got the abortion who's the bad mom now (laughs) 
<laughs> and then like Elena has to like sulk away, like defeated. Mm-hmm. In the book, she just like tells her you're evicted. Yeah. And it's and like impl- Mia's sort of like, I'm kind of done with this anyway. Like, yeah. Fine. Uh, and so she and Pearl pack up and leave. And they do have this kind of reconciliation between them where you know, Mia comes clean about her past to Pearl and Pearl kind of realizes that they do have to leave because of all the shit that's gone down with Elena. Um, And so, yeah, they get out of town. I kind of like in a way that they, in the show, they actually go to her, to Mia's parents' house, Mm -hmm. which you're kind of like, how is this going to play out? Mia hasn't seen her parents in years. I don't know. Like They leave it open-ended, They do, yeah. And it's mainly, I think, supposed to be positive outlooking. Uh, I like in the book, though, them just kind of going back on the road. Yeah. Almost like them. Returning to their true form. Yeah, yeah. But like better, I think, and changed and like uh, Mia telling Pearl about her past and everything. Yeah. I kind of like the poeticness of them kind of just leaving the way they came. Mm hmm. Uh, but yeah, that's kind of like the conclusion of their story. The, The show also really ramped up the anger between Pearl and Mia. Yeah, there's so much more animosity between them. So much more screaming. So much screaming. (laughs) So many more fights between them. Um, Whereas it was a a lot smoother in the book with like one final confrontation at the end about the past and then their reconciliation. So yeah, it it was a lot more dramatic in the show. Uh, And Izzy is kind of the one dealing with the fallout of like Pearl and Mia leaving. And she's the one piecing together how much like her family and Lexi specifically like used Pearl and how her mother is like blaming them for everything. And so she's the one that feels the most anger at the injustice of it all. Yeah. And the one that is the most upset and wants to make it right. And of course, the only way to make it right, Ian, is is to burn the house to the ground. (laughs) The purifying power of fire. (laughs) (laughs) because Mia told her this story about a prairie fire and like, you know, sometimes when things burn, uh, you know, she tells her this whole metaphor about like when things burn away, you sometimes start over. Yeah. And like, wow. And and like, Izzy's like, I'm 14. I'm going to take this very literally. (laughs) (laughs) Izzy's like, okay, so burn everything. Literally. I got it. Yeah. So Izzy, uh, returns home. I think both of us were a little confused in the book as to like the, the timeline because Izzy's running around trying to like find out the clues. Yeah. And meanwhile, Mia and Pearl are like leaving and packing up to go and like where everyone was at what point. Uh, so basically how the book plays out is Izzy returns home. She is in fact the one who sets all the little fires all over the goddamn place (laughs) and tries to maybe burn her mom alive in her house. Like she doesn't burn alive, but like she also didn't know she was there. Didn't she? No. Oh, I forgot. She didn't know she was. Oh, okay. I I was kind of, I talked you down, (laughs) (laughs) but regardless. And then, um, Izzy takes off. Yeah. And, Kind of like she has more of a plan, I guess, in the book. Yeah. She because she's trying to find Mia, basically. Yeah. And she finds the address that her family lives in in Pittsburgh. And she's like, I'm going to Pittsburgh. I'm going to find Mia's parents so I can find Mia. Um, And we kind of end with that in the book. And we kind of end with Elena being like, I have to find my daughter. Like, I drove her away. I need to, like, get her back. In the show... Izzy tries to set the house on fire and then has like a confrontation with her mom and her siblings where they're all like, 
don't set the house on fire. <laughs> this is not a good reaction. And then, you know, Izzy and Elena get into this screaming match, basically, where Izzy tells Elena, like, I wanted Mia to be my mom. And Elena tells Izzy, I never wanted you in the first place. And I'm like, damn. Oh, my God. And it would be one thing if, like, this was the first time something like this had ever come out. But literally, oh, no. like... She's been shitting on her every single moment. The previous episode, she said something that was, like, maybe one notch lower, where she's like, it's hard to be your mom. Yeah. Like, you can't say that to your kid. Yeah. And so it's like, clearly she didn't learn from that time. So I don't know why she would learn from saying... I never wanted you in the first place. Yeah. But clearly, oh, now she's crossed a line. And also, Izzy's siblings, I mean, she has a good relationship with Moody. Yeah. And Moody clearly has, like, tried to be there for her in different ways. But, like, Trip and Lexi have kind of, like, not given two fucks about Izzy. No. And so I get them defending her to an extent. Um, Lexi and Elena now are screaming at each other where Lexi finally reveals she was the one with the abortion. And I swear to God, the pitch of scream that Reese Witherspoon accomplishes in this scene is like, (laughs) I I had no idea her, like a voice was capable of that. Yeah. Uh, But like, because at this point we've heard so much screaming. I know. We're like, how could it get more? How could it get even louder and more high pitched? (laughs) And then they do it. And then she manages it. And I mean, I give her props for that. And it's kind of this thing where, Lexi and Moody and Trip are sort of like, we can't become like our mom because she's fucked up. And they're like, the only way that we cannot become like our mom is instead of going to therapy, we should just set the house on fire together. Yeah. As like a team building exercise. Yeah, it's a bonding experience. Yeah, we're siblings. We're in this together. Uh, Izzy like runs out of the house to like run away. And then the three other siblings set the house on fire, get their mom out, and then the house burns. I, so in in theory, I like this being the conclusion. I kind of do too. In in theory, um, I don't think it is uh, built up to properly or justified. Yeah. Like, I don't actually think that, like, this would be any of their reactions based on the story. They haven't had conflict with their mother not, at all. Not as, no. It's only been Izzy, so for them to, like, have this moment where they see Elena as a monster and rebel against her doesn't feel very earned. No, and Elena's, like, annoying and overbearing and, like, terrible to Izzy. Yeah. But, like, this extreme of a reaction is so much. Yeah. Like, if it was, like, like, you know, a more physically abusive relationship or just, like, more psychologically abusive or, like, just more extreme, I could see this being maybe the result um, of this kind of like mental break for three kids being like, because when all three of your kids agree that burning the house down is the best solution <laughs> to their problems, like I know. you can't deny that you fucked up anymore. <laughs> and I like that quality of it. But like also partly I'm like, you know, they're burning the house down is almost like a statement against like their class status. And I'm yeah. like, but also isn't it like the ultimate privilege to feel that you can like burn down your house and, and you'd still be fine and you're fine. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, I can do this as a statement. Yeah. And like, we'll be okay. I agree. But as a like surprise about like who set the fires, 
I like that it's not a simple like, oh, it was Izzy, like everyone thought at the beginning. I agree. Yeah, no, I um, I liked this result more than in the book where it's like, surprise, it was the person who like everyone said it was. Yeah, there's I, no mystery. Yeah, I was a little bit like disappointed by that, I think. And in the show too, we have at the end, Elena telling the fire chief that she was the one that set the fire. So that kind of like gives her almost an arc saying like, this was all my fault, taking responsibility for her action as well. So I like that too. Yeah, tying that in as well. Although it would also be pretty shitty to implicate all three of her children. (laughs) It was those three (laughs) officers. Or even one of them and be like, it was that one. It was only moody, right, kids? (laughs) Yeah, but that's how the story ends. And just another uh, added note, uh, we find out too that uh, BB steals her baby back. And in the book, she She wants her baby back, baby back, baby back. (laughs) (laughs) She just fucks off right back to China. And she's like, try finding me, me now, bitches. Like, there's millions of people here. Like, you'll never track me down. Now, to be fair, though, that's in the book that BB runs away yeah. to China. Because in the show, the last shot we get of her is just like in her car. I know. We're like, what is she going to do? She has no money. Yeah. And I really didn't like that in yeah. the show is that like she because I mean, especially for the Richard or not the Richardson, the um, Linda and her husband. Yeah. Like they just had uh Mei Ling stolen from their house and they're like devastated and are weeping and that's like the last time we see them yeah and then the last time we see BB is just in her car with her kid like fuck knows where yeah and like what's she even gonna do and mm-hmm. where's this gonna go and it's just like there's no hope for anyone almost in this situation yeah and I don't like at least BB getting on a plane and leaving for China you're like, okay, hopefully she has more connections like with family there mm-hmm. and like, you she know, can speak the language. she can speak the language and she'll hopefully she'll like have a much easier time there and like be able to raise her daughter the way she wants to. Yeah. And in the book, you also get the Richards or God, I keep saying the Richardson family. I'm so <laughs> sorry. Linda and her husband, who I think his the name McCullough's. is the McCullough's. I think his name's Richard. That's why I keep <laughs> saying that. Um, like, even though they're still devastated, they're kind of still looking to the future. Yeah. And so there's, like, a glimmer of hope there that, like, we still want to adopt and we're looking forward to the next kid. Mm-hmm. Um, the next one. And then the next one after that one's stolen <laughs> and the next one after that one's stolen. <laughs> but I do like that BB ends up with her child in the end because it's so sad. It is. Yeah. Like, <laughs> it's hard to feel happy about it just because, like... You also just can't help but feel bad for Linda and the McCulloughs in general, too. Uh, But, like, yeah, at least in the book, you hope that BB's happy with mailing. So, which one was better? Uh, I have no problem this time starting (laughs) us off and saying that I much, much enjoyed uh, the book better. I agree. I also liked the book better. I feel like it was more focused. Mm-hmm. Um, and I did enjoy the show in a lot of ways. And I think the performance is really great by, you know, Reese Witherspoon, Carrie Washington and the child actors yeah. as well. Yeah, all the kids all were good. Really great. Um, but yeah, I feel like the themes came across more strongly and clearly in the book. Yeah. I admire, uh, how, um, the show tried to expand its scope in terms of like addressing race, uh, addressing um, sexuality and those topics. Uh, it was just 
a little hit or miss for me. Yeah. Uh, and I think ultimately more so it was the story changes and kind of the attitude of the show just being like so much yelling, so much anger and aggression, so much heightened drama. Yeah. When, I don't know, there's like a lot of sympathy and caring and a lot of the situations are different in the book. Definitely. Um, but I do think that tonal balance of the book and it being much more subtle and nuanced in a lot of ways and um, kind of reserved Yeah. Uh, was more impactful and was able to talk about things in a much more interesting way. Yeah. I mean, they're both definitely really fascinating and insightful stories about the differences, you know, between classes, between races, um, and they have different things to say. So I would really recommend both of them, um, but maybe a slight preference for the book. Yeah, yeah. Book for both of us then. Yeah. All right. Let's do uh, a lightning round. Lightning. Okay, we got a lot, so we're going to go quick. Uh, <laughs> the dad. I have to mention that in the show, as the dad becomes more and more like just angry and disillusioned with everything he just like starts smoking all the time and at one point he just looks at elaine and he's like can i fucking help you as he's like smoking with his feet up on the desk and i just like love the dad smoking as like a metaphor for him not giving two shits yes (laughs) (laughs) next up i want to mention in the book there's this story where izzy as like an act of anarchy in revenge against this teacher that like wronged her and like this other girl in the class, she decides to put toothpicks in all the locks of the doors in the classrooms for the whole school. And Mia, or I'm sorry, Pearl and Moody help her with this. So they pull this off, they put the toothpicks in all the locks and then break them off. And then like the entire school is like delayed and it's this whole thing. It's like a, it's a very extensive part of the story that's like very ridiculous. It's so funny. Um, There's a weird thing in the show where like all the exteriors of from like cars scenes that take place in the cars as they're driving. The passing scenery looks so weird and choppy. Yeah. It looks super fake. And I'm like, really fake. Why does this look so bad? Because I mean, like in all shows, the exteriors of cars, it's all fake now. Like it's always green screen, but like it's almost always very convincing. Yeah. I don't know why this time it looked terrible. Also, why does CGI fire always look bad in shows? I don't know. It's never convincing. It's I'm, not. I'm waiting for a show that does CGI fire well. <laughs> You're holding out. I am. I'm, I'm waiting. <laughs> Next up, I just want to mention since this show and book takes place in the 90s, there's a few 90s references. We get a reference to Buffy, my personal favorite show of all time. Uh, we get a reference to the Vagina Monologues, a very influential play, um, that was happening at this time. And we also get shows like The Real World, The Jerry Springer Show that the <laughs> Richardsons are watching. So it's a, it's a fun 90s time. A lot of good 90s drops. <laughs> Finally, it's in book and movie or book and show. Uh, in order to try to impregnate Mia uh, in the past, she uh, has to use a turkey baster. <laughs> And I'm like, oh, man, I mean, I guess you got to make do with what you have. But yeah, like, in the book, they specifically say that, like, the semen is in a teacup. <laughs> yeah. And so they like. She has to load the baster herself. Yeah. And insert. Also, in the show, they make a point of mentioning that Mia's a virgin. I know. And I just wrote in my notes. I'm like, Rolls eyes. Mia is going to be a pregnant virgin. Like, yeah. uh, <laughs> 
All right, that's lightning round. Uh, and that's the episode. Thank you so much for going on this journey with us. We hope you enjoyed this episode on Little Fires Everywhere. It was really fun to do. It was. Yeah, I'm really glad we got to do this one. Thank you so much, so much for listening. If you enjoy the podcast and would like to support us, we have a Patreon page. Um, if you give to our Patreon at any level, you get access to all of our bonus episodes yeah. that we come out with like once a month, roughly. Mm-hmm. And uh, those can be on additional adaptations of uh, other topics or shows we've covered or um, just other subjects like the Oscars or upcoming adaptations. Yeah, we do a lot over there. And the support really means a lot, um, especially you know now when Ian and I are finding that we're having to rent a lot more movies or having to buy a lot more books um, with like the libraries being shut down and things like that. So everyone, to everyone who supports us, it truly means so much to us, and we are very grateful. Um, and if you'd like to support us in other ways, you can find us on Instagram, on Twitter. You can email us at coveredacreditspod at gmail.com, or you can just give us a star rating on Apple Podcasts. Uh, That also means a lot to us. So thank you everyone who listens, who contributes. Um, It just means a lot no matter what. It does. And uh, thanks again for listening and we'll see you next time. See you next time. Bye. Bye.